Welcome back. This is part three of our four-part series on Back to Basics. You listened to part two, didn't you? All about Aperture. If you did, guess what? This episode is going to be a breeze. Actually, I do this on purpose. I do the Aperture one first, and then we dive into shutter speed. Why? Because once you get through everything around the lens, depth of field, and aperture, shutter speed is a pretty easy win. So if you haven't listened to it yet, I'm going to recommend you go back to episode 43 and listen to that. If you have, okay, you're allowed to go forward. Let's dive in and learn about our shutter speed. Hi, I'm Christine Riche, an artist and mentor to photographers around the world. Consider me your interstellar guide on the path to being a better nightscape photographer. In this podcast, we will bring together our artistic right brain and technical left brain by exploring creativity, art, and inspiration in photography, as well as diving into technique, gear, and strategy necessary to elevate your craft and photographic practice. I am so happy to be a part of your Milky Way journey. This is the After Dark Photography Podcast. Well, hello again. I am coming at you after the first training in my Your First Milky Way photo training has dropped and it makes me so delighted to see everyone getting in there and learning about where and when to find the Milky Way. There's so many comments on, you know, I didn't realize there was Milky Way season. Uh, one person was like, I had to pause the training and bring my lens cap and show my husband the Milky Way analogy. So if you are listening to this kind of in real time when it is being released this first time, then you uh, may be inside the group and you may be privy to some of these conversations and things that are going on. If not, you are more than welcome to come in to the training. We are in and running the training from now until August 18th. You have access to all the replays and everything until August 24th. I would really, truly love to have you in there and part of the group. I can tell you we have many, many photographers who are in there and they have done it multiple times and they're coming back and saying, oh, it's clicking so much more this time or I'm getting re-inspired to get out and go shoot. And that is probably the most exciting thing for me. One of the other things that I've really noticed has been coming up lately and it makes me pretty darn happy is that people are being just like really gracious (laughs) I guess is the way to put it. Uh, and I don't know, maybe it's the, the world climate, who knows why, but I'm getting a lot of people who are just being really lovely and thanking me for putting this type of work out there, for putting this free education out. And I will tell you just before we get into today's class, which let's be real, like the stuff that I'm teaching you in this mini series, people sell this out there as well. And of course, people should. Everyone is making a living as they can. Um, And I'm fortunate to be able to make my living from what I do as well. 
But one of my things, one of my big things that I am really leaning into, this is kind of like for 2023, this has been my focus, is bringing this type of education to as many people as possible. And my free training that I do, yes, it leads into opening up registration for my main course. But I've got to tell you, it's a very small, small, small percentage of people who purchase that course. And part of that is because of how I run the free training. Part of that is because I give away so much, but I do that because I want everyone to be able to get out there. I want everyone to be able to get out and be underneath the night sky. I mean, we can all do that, though, to varying degrees, depending on where we live. But there's something extra when you get out there and you can take that photo with your camera and that 15 second, 20 second, 25 second exposure is over and there's the Milky Way on the back of your camera. I don't know, for me, it just, maybe it's some, I'm such a logical person in many ways that I, you know, I gotta see it to believe it. <laughs> and there is no arguing with taking that photo and looking on the back of the camera and being like, ah, oh, there it is. So I get super excited to be able to kind of just be part of bringing this to more people. And I have some exciting ways that I want to expand on this next year as well, because um, as we, and I think this is for everyone, not just for people building business or whatever you're doing, but you know, as we get good at one thing, we can build on that thing. So I've been running these trainings now. This is the 11th time. So here in August in 2023, this is the 11th time that I've run it. I'll be running it again next year in the same vein, but a little bit different. Every time that we do something and we work on it, we get better and better at it. That's also going to apply by the way, in case you thought I was just rambling too much at the start of this, which maybe a little bit, but that's also going to apply to working with your camera, working with your settings. Maybe you're listening to this and you are not someone who's comfortable with shooting in manual. Well, guess what? The more that you pay attention to your settings, to the actual numbers and to the images that you're getting, the better you're going to be. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you do shoot in manual, but there are some of these basics that we just, sometimes we kind of forget about them. We maybe start to run in autopilot. Um, and that is just life. <laughs> we, our brain automates so much stuff so that we can function in a day to day. You know, how many times have I driven and then I'm like, ah, I'm not supposed to be driving this way today. I'm supposed to go somewhere else, but I always drive this way, you know? Our brain automates things so much for us. So a big part of this series is getting us back in tune with our camera. And with that in mind, we are going to get into our shutter speed. So, so far in part one, we went over our camera, everything to do with our camera, getting to know our camera again, dusting the dust off, maybe. Not calling you out, but just maybe, depending on, you know, what's been going on. And then episode two is all about our lens. So aperture, depth of field, and really leaning into this idea of the creative control and the technical control. So the technical, how much light is it bringing in? And then that creative control of, uh, in the case of the aperture, our depth of field. So this part three is with our shutter speed. And I'm gonna just, I'm gonna give it all away. Our shutter speed is motion. 
That's what our shutter speed is. It's real easy. So this episode will probably be a shorter one. I don't know, though. I'm pretty good at talking for a while. I was saying I do short things and then I don't probably because I fill it with stuff like this in the in between. But our shutter speed is a pretty easy one to wrap our heads around. So if we go back to how our camera is set up, we have the lens that goes on the camera body. We have the light comes in through that lens and it's controlled by the aperture. Then it comes back through to the sensor. However, there's a piece in front of the sensor before it is the gatekeeper to the sensor. It is the shutter, an actual physical shutter. Now, some cameras do not have physical shutters anymore. Some of the interchangeable lens cameras, the mirrorless cameras are now all electronic shutters. However, there are still a lot of the mirrorless cameras that still have a physical shutter in front of the um, sensor. So it does all depend. If you are on a digital SLR, then you 100% have a shutter there. And think of the shutter as a curtain in front of your actual sensor. And it will move up or down when you actually click the shutter release button. That's why it's called the shutter release. I know most of us just say click the shutter, but it's actually the shutter release button. When we do that, the shutter is going to move down out of the way from our sensor. The duration of time that the shutter has moved out of the way from the sensor and that it lets light collect on the sensor, that is called our shutter speed. That's our shutter speed. That is the, uh, that, that's it. We're done now. That's all you need to know. No. <laughs> but that's what it is. The shutter moves down. The length of time that it's open for, that is going to be what our shutter speed is. So we measure this in seconds. So we generally, in daytime photography, are photographing in fractions of a second. In nighttime photography, we are photographing in seconds and into minutes. Now, most cameras have access to a similar shutter speed range, but it can be a little bit different depending on the camera that you have. Generally, you can get up to 30 seconds in camera without using bulb mode, which we will touch on um, uh, after we get through this little section here. Um, but there are some cameras now that will actually let you do longer in camera without having to use bulb or something like an intervalometer or a remote or something like that. And we'll talk about that um, as well as we go on. So most cameras can do up to 30 seconds. Some cameras now can go up and do 60 seconds and then 90 seconds and then they go in um, to do uh, like five five minutes, eight minutes, uh, 15 minutes. It all just depends on the camera that you have. Some of them can do longer shutter speeds, but for the most part, we're going to tap out at about 30 seconds. And I'm actually going to start there at that 30 seconds and give you our shutter speed scale. So we did this with our aperture and our aperture was those F stops, right? So here, this is just our shutter speed. So I know aperture is controlled by F stops. Our shutter speed is just our shutter speed. It doesn't have another fancy fancy name for it. If you want to come up with one, go ahead. But uh, it's just our shutter speed. So it starts at 30 seconds and then it goes to 15 seconds, to 8 seconds, 4 seconds, 
two seconds, one second, then half a second, a quarter of a second, an eighth of a second, a fifteenth of a second, one thirtieth of a second, one sixtieth of a second, one one twenty-fifth of a second, one two-fiftieth of a second, one five-hundredth of a second, one one-thousandth of a second, and one two-thousandth of a second. Now, some cameras, generally these are the more higher end, so full frame made with high frames per second for shooting things like sports and birds in flight and wildlife and stuff like that, will go to one four-thousandth of a second and one eight-thousandth of a second. Not all cameras can get to that, but for the most part, all cameras can do between 30 seconds and one two-thousandth of a second. If you need to, rewind, go and write that down again, or go to the show notes. So if you just go to afterdarkphotographypodcast.com and then you go to this episode, which is episode 44, you can go and I have put these numbers there for you. Now, if you remember in the last episode with our aperture, I told you I was giving you these numbers in full stops. I am doing that again with our shutter speed. So yes, there will be other numbers. So when you go in between each of the numbers that I said, you will have other numbers that are there. So for instance, in between 15 and 30, you're going to have two more numbers. You are going to have 20 and 25. Those are called third stops, and we'll talk more about that in the next episode. I want you right now to be focusing just on full stops, because it is easier. If you remember, no, I I'm, I'm, keep saying if you remember to the last episode, because everything builds off of each other. So there will be similarities in the way that we can look at our aperture and our shutter speed. And you'll notice as I went down the shutter speed scale, you may have noticed a halving and a doubling. So when I went from 30 seconds, just divide it in two and you get 15. 15, we're rounding it, divide in two to go to eight. I know that's not exactly right, but that's how it works. Eight in half goes to four seconds. Four seconds in half goes to two seconds. So we can have and double with our shutter speed and that gets us a stop more light or a stop less light. So this is our scale for our shutter speed. Now, if we think of this in the technical control as in how much light is being recorded, we, when we were doing our aperture, we had the physical size of the aperture. It gave us more or less light. I think you probably already understand how shutter speed works in terms of what is more or less light. But just in case, I want to make sure that we go through everything and we spell it out. So a 30 second exposure will get us more light than a 15 second exposure. How much more light? It gives us one stop more light. It's the same thing. A uh, 160th of a second exposure gives us more light than a 1125th of a second exposure. How much light? One stop more light. Now you might be like, I don't know what one stop more light means. That's okay. We'll get to that in our fourth and final episode in this mini series. So the longer that the shutter speed is open, the more time that the sensor is collecting light, therefore the more light that is being recorded. So long shutter speeds get us a lot more light, shorter shutter speeds get us a lot less. I mean, that makes sense. If we think half a second our shutter is open for versus one two thousandth of a second. Like I can't even like one two thousandth, how I can't comprehend that. 
that is not is not a number that my brain is like oh yeah no i can tell you what happens then no like <laughs> you know doesn't even exist in my mind um except for in theory and the fact that I know that it freezes any very, very fast movement. So the longer that we have, the more time that light is coming in, the more light we have, the shorter shutter speed we have, the less time we have, the less light is coming in. If you want to think about this with our bucket analogy, so that bucket is our lens and underneath is the sensor collecting all of the water coming through. We have a hole that's a certain size and that's going to be our aperture. The shutter is how long that water is being let through the bucket. So think about having a bucket with a hole, but there is a a cutting board, a piece of something underneath. There's a piece of plastic blocking the hole. That plastic opens for the duration of the shutter speed and then it closes. That's how much water is being allowed to be let through. So how much are we getting? What is the physical quantity of light or of water in this case that we're getting? It is determined by that duration of the shutter speed and how long the shutter is open for. If we think about this in terms of practical speak, practicality, getting out there, actually taking photos. In the middle of the day, on a bright sunny day, there's a ton of light out, right? There's a huge quantity of light. So we can likely go with a very fast shutter speed because there's already a lot of light out there. There's a ton of water to get from. Um, if we think about light as water, again, there's a ton of water during the day. If we think of light as water on a bright sunny day, it's like you're walking through one of the biggest waterfalls in, uh, in Iceland. You know, it's just you're completely engulfed in water versus at night, there's not that much light. You know, you're going through the sprinkle of a dried up stream that's that's going over a rock, right? Like there's so little amount of light out there that we have to leave our shutter open for longer in order to actually capture it. So we have, of course, these extremes with our shutter speed. Um, and we're going to mix this in with the creative control shutter in just a moment here. But I just want to give you some kind of rules of thumb. During a bright, sunny day, within the confines of our settings and how they work together, we can generally shoot, we can shoot at the fastest shutter speed we have, and then we can go down to probably somewhere between 1 15th and 1 60th of a second, depending, you know, is it, are we shooting in shade or are we shooting um, maybe inside a little bit of forest cover or something like that? Then as we get into an overcast day, you're going to find that we probably aren't going to shoot at our absolute fastest shutter speed. We're going to be a little bit more in the mid range and we can get slower shutter speeds. If it's an overcast day or if we're shooting in heavy like forest cover or if we're shooting inside. So now we can get these longer shutter speeds so we can be shooting maybe in the range of half a second to like 1 60th of a second. This will also depend on the aperture of your lens and things like that, but these are just rules of thumb. So one of the reasons I point this out is that with our shutter speed, we're going to talk about the creative control and about using a longer shutter speed versus a faster shutter speed. There will be times when you won't be able to use one or the other because it will either just be way too much light or not enough light. Because with our shutter speed, 
in case you didn't notice, we have a much larger scale range with our shutter speed than we do with our aperture. If we were to look at our aperture scale and look at how many um, stops of data that we have with our aperture and then put that scale beside our shutter speed, you're going to see it's significantly less. And it all depends on your lens, right? But we have, if we go, let's say, let's say we have like a 1.4 lens, we go f1.4, f2, f2.8, f4, f5.6, f8, f11, f16, f22. Uh, let's say that that's nine stops in range. Whereas the shutter speed that I gave you, let me see here, I'm gonna count. So 30 seconds, 15, eight, four, two, one, half a second, a quarter of a second, an eighth of a second, a 15th, a 30th, a 60th, one one twenty-fifth, one two fiftieth, one five hundredth, one one thousandth, one two thousandth. That is 17 stops. That's a much bigger range of light that can be recorded with our shutter speed. Because of that, there are certain shutters you can't do. Like you can't just randomly do a 30 second exposure on a bright sunny day. It doesn't matter what settings you use for your aperture and your ISO, it's going to be bright white unless you're utilizing something like a neutral density filter or something like that. Same thing in the middle of the night, you cannot use one two thousandth of a second and expect to record any light unless say you're in the middle of like a pyrotechnics show in the middle of a huge city with tons of floodlights and everything around, right? So our shutter speed has a really big range within the scale. And it's important to know that we're not going to have access to some of those numbers depending on the situations that we're shooting in. And so it makes sense that we can't use really fast shutter speeds when it's really dark and we can't use really long and really slow shutter speeds when it's really bright. Now, the other thing that I want to make sure that I mention before we go on to the creative control is I talked about um, using bulb mode or using an intervalometer or a remote. So all of our cameras can generally go to 30 seconds long of an exposure, but they might not be able to go to longer than that in the camera. So for instance, I'm uh, setting the actual number, my actual shutter speed number on my camera. It goes to 30 with a little quotation mark after it. Those quotation marks mean that we're in the seconds range. And then you go again and it will go to something that says B. <laughs> Some cameras will do that. Some cameras, it just won't go to anything. Um, and you have to actually put your mode into B, into bulb mode. This comes back to like knowing our cameras and knowing how they function. So this is something that we should look at. Um, some cameras as well, some Nikon cameras, after you go and you're clicking, moving your main command wheel and you go from, you know, eight seconds to 15 to 30 and you go again, it actually goes to this just like dash line, a two dash line. What that means is when you click the shutter, it starts the exposure and it will keep going until you click the shutter again. I know that Nikon does that. I don't know if the other brands do it. I know that Canon does not. I know that Sony at least the Sony's that I have worked with with my students do not, but I have not looked on Olympus and Fuji and Pentax, so I can't speak to those. I will try and update this at some point if I learn otherwise one way or the other. So after that though, then we get to something that says B and you're like, what's up? We, we have some bees here. We want to make some honey, get some flowers around. No, B stands for bulb. And this, you 
to be because there is an actual uh, remote that people would use and it was there was like a bulb on the end and you would like hold it and then it would hold the shutter open for as long as you were holding on to the bulb of the remote um, because that bulb put air through the tube and actually depressed the shutter way back in yonder film days. So B is for bulb. Bulb just means that while the shutter is being depressed, it is leaving the sorry, while the shutter release, I should say, the thing that you click with your finger, while that's being held down, the shutter itself is left open. Now, this is problematic because you are not going to be able to click and hold your finger on that shutter release for longer than 30 seconds and not have movement. Guarantee it. Unless you're like hands of a surgeon, maybe, maybe you are a surgeon. I am not. I have tried multiple times. I certainly, when I was younger, and I used to take my camera out shooting at night in really shady parts of town. And my mom was always very upset. And I was like, I have my tripod. That could be a weapon if it needs to. Anyways, I would always be trying to take really, really long exposures. And I would be like, holding my breath in, breathing really smoothly, counting. I could never do it. Um, you could try, but it's probably not going to work. Instead, we use bulb mode with a remote of some kind. Now, you can have just a wired remote, and those tend to be a lot cheaper. And literally, it just plugs into your camera, and you click and hold the button on the remote, and that the movement it gets in the remote and is not transmitted through the wire that's going into your camera, and so you can do a longer exposure. Or you can get a little bit more expensive a device called an intervalometer. And that basically lets you program in the duration of bulb mode that you want. So you can say, I want a 120 second or a 480 second, or you know, I want a 10 minute exposure, etc. It all depends on the intervalometer and what you get, um, how it gets set up in terms of that. The other thing those do which is really useful for nighttime photography, really, really useful, is that you can tell it to take multiple photos in a row. So when we get into things like stocking, um, tracking, if we want to do time lapses, star trails, anything like that, super, super, super duper useful. So I would recommend having an intervalometer. Um, you can go to my page. So if you go to christinerosephotography.com and you go to the gear section, there is a section there on accessories. So it's just christinerosephotography.com forward slash accessories. And I have um, intervalometers linked up on there. I have the ones that I use. You just have to make sure if you are using an intervalometer that you get the one that has the connection for your camera. So our digital cameras can take, if you wanted to, hour-long exposures. They absolutely could. Now, do I ever take exposures that long? No, because the likelihood is that there's going to be a car that comes by or a dog that knocks over my and bumps my tripod. She doesn't normally knock it over that much anymore, but she does sometimes still come and sit on me. And then she like nudges the tripod leg and I'm like, ah, Chaz, that was a 15 minute exposure. I got to start over. Anyways, I love her. It's all right. I don't mind. Um, so I generally don't do like hours long, but I could if I want to. Um, and you could too. But this just means, you know, oh, I don't have a camera that goes longer than 30 seconds. And just use an intervalometer and you can set your camera up to take whatever length of exposure that you want to. So that's our technical control. That is how much light is coming in and it is being measured by the actual shutter speed. Pretty nice, pretty easy to wrap our brains around. So now we look at the creative control with our shutter speed, and this is motion. So our shutter speed controls 
motion in our images. And depending on the length of the shutter speed and the movement of the scene in front of us, we can either show motion or freeze motion. That is our control. So do I want there to be motion in my image or do I want to freeze any motion that's in my image? And that should be a question that comes up whenever you're shooting anything. And for me, that's really the first question. Like that's my first determining factor for how I'm going to photograph my scene and how I'm going to work with my other settings and everything that's going on. Because do I want to see the motion that is inherent to the scene or do I not want to? Sometimes, yeah, I do. You know, a the perfect example, I use water a lot, but I'm, I'm a cancer um, and I do love water. <laughs> I live I live on a peninsula. Farthest way you can get from the ocean here is 45 minutes and I'm less than 10 minutes to the ocean and less than like three to a lake. So yeah, I love water. Now with water, if we want to see that beautiful flow of water, so we've seen all of those like waterfall photos and it's like that misty, lovely water. It's like, oh, I could just like, I could just be in that, couldn't I? It doesn't feel like how it looks, but it's just, oh, it's so nice. That's a long shutter speed. That is a long shutter speed. It's showing the motion of the water over time. Then we've seen those images like a fountain was spraying water up and it's got those individual water droplets or what I like to do with my kids. I'm spraying my kids with a water hose. <laughs> they like it. I promise they're on board with this. Um, and I take quick photos and I've got the spray, the literal droplets hitting their face and going. That's a very fast shutter speed. So in these options, we are looking at the way that freezing the movement versus showing the movement enhances the image. And this for me is the thing that I get really excited about in photography. Like I, I really do because a photograph is a, a fraction of time. You know, it is, it is this small little slice of reality that we are crafting into something more. But we have the ability to show movement. We have the ability to infer the movement of time in a static two-dimensional object. I mean, how cool is that? Right? Right? You're with me here, right? Like, it's just, you know, I can show the movement and the passage of time, but it's in a thing that you're holding. It's in a, a static, non-moving, non non-living entity thing. So cool. So we can infer this movement. We can infer this passage of time through our usage of a shutter speed. Now we can do this also with a really fast shutter speed. You know, um, uh, one of my favorite uh, photographers from the 1900s and kind of an early pioneer in a lot of ways and in thinking about photography, etc. Um, Henri Cartier-Bresson and his The Decisive Moment, capturing that moment right before something happens. The moment right before the person's foot drops into the puddle, you know what's going to happen. Your mind fills in the blank for you. You know it, but it's that moment right before. I like to tell this story about Edward Moybridge. And so Edward Moybridge was a very early photographer. And at the time, he was doing uh, some pretty innovative things with the way that he set up his cameras. And so he was hired by this uh, this horse guy. So this guy races horses. And this particular horse guy was like, I believe 
that when horses run, they run so fast that all of their feet come up off the ground. And then there's these other horse guys. I don't know. A, I'm not a horse person. B, I didn't live in the 1900s as a really rich white male. So I can't really get in to the heads of the people here. But the other horse guys were like, no way, you know? I'm sure they would not. Sir, gentlemen, I do not believe that is how it goes. Anyways, whatever. I'm not going to try and do that. Um, but they, you know, we had these two sides of the coin. I was like, yes, absolutely. Horses, all their feet come up off the ground. And they're like, no, that's not possible. How could they do that? That's flying. That's, that's your, you're talking balderdash. Um, so what horse guy A, the one who believed it, is he hired Edward Moybridge to prove it with his camera. And he paid him an, a ridiculous amount of money. You would have to look it up. I don't remember what it is now. Um, but Moybridge set up these motion studies. Now, it, this took a while. He got paid a lot of money. He went to jail in between doing this. I don't know why he went to jail. I never looked that bit up. Um, but it took it took a while for him to do this. But basically what he did, because now we're just like, yeah, that's easy. We just take our camera and we point and we hold it down and we move with the horse and you're going to see that all the horse's feet are up or the dogs, etc. Uh, we've all seen images like that. At the time, you couldn't do that. Cameras didn't take pictures that quickly in a row. So what he actually did is he had multiple cameras set up at ground level and they were tripped by a motion sensor. And so he had, I don't even know how many cameras, but it was a lot, you know, like 30, 40, 50 cameras set up in a row. And they tripped uh, as the horse went by. And he actually, through this motion study, captured the horse in the air with all its feet up. And like, that was like, it was mind boggling, right? It's like people were like, they did not know this beforehand. And now we have the ability to capture that. I was saying this before, like I can't comprehend one two thousandth of a second, but my camera can, and my camera can do it. So we can slice a teensy tiny little piece out and we can take things that we know are not real. Like let's say we're doing, like we're showing motocross, you know, and there is a person and they're doing a crazy flip with their bike off a jump. We do a one two thousandth of a second while they're in the air. You've got a person hanging upside down on a bike. Like if we didn't understand about our shutter speed it's like that that person can fly or they're falling to their death like what's going you know but no it's just a really fast shutter speed it's just getting that one little slice of time versus we use a really long shutter speed and all of a sudden that person has this motion to them they're more of this blur in the air we can create what we want showing motion or freezing motion and we decide how our image is going to look based off of that. Now, this has to link up with, of course, the technical control of how much light. Because maybe I want to show a bat in flight doing, I don't know, cool bat things flying. And I'm like, I want to use really fast shutter speed. Well, good luck with that because bats are nocturnal. They're up at night. Like, And also, if you put a whole bunch of light on them, you are going to blind them. Don't do that. That's bad. Light is bad for nocturnal creatures. You can't get that. You know, there there might be some instances where there would be a way to do it, but that's not really going to work out. You know, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I am dashing your dreams of fast photos of bats in flight here on the podcast. Just so many hopes gone down the drain. Uh, but we have to think about that technical control of the quantity of light that exists and the shutter speed controlling that. Now, the one thing I do want to mention here is that this is a creative control, but it also is a little bit of a technical one because 
there can be movement introduced via camera shake. That is not good. So motion in our images is not bad, but it has to be motion of the subject, not motion of the camera. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you are hand-holding your camera, so your camera is not on a tripod, it's not on a stable surface, you're hand-holding it, and you're not steady enough to hold it at the shutter speed with which you're shooting at. This is going to be a different threshold for different people. It is also going to be based off of the actual focal length that you're shooting with, so the magnification. You know, think about anyone who's held binoculars up or then if you tried to like handhold a telescope, <laughs> right? Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> I'm getting a little bit seasick. Um, so camera shake is when there is movement within your image, but it's movement from you physically moving the camera while the shutter is open. I am not talking about intentional camera movement. That is a subset genre of photography, which is a little bit different. I'm talking about you were trying to hold it still, but your shutter speed got a little bit too long because it got a little bit too dark and you were in auto and you weren't paying attention and everything is moving. Everything is a little bit blurry. We don't want that. So how do we get away from that? How do we get that movement, that beautiful flowing silky waterfall without having everything just blurry and shake, shaken and jumbled, you know, like we're inside a martini. Um, we get that by putting our camera on a tripod. What's the point at which we do that? Well, there's a rule of thumb here and it is one over your focal length. So if you are shooting at a 50 millimeter lens, the longest shutter speed that you should shoot at is 1 50th of a second. If you're shooting on 200 millimeter lens, the longest shutter speed that you should shoot at is 1 200th of a second. Now, this is an old film rule of thumb. Yes, it is. It doesn't quite hold true anymore. There's some variables here. Um, are you shooting APS-C? Are you shooting micro four thirds? Then you gotta take that into consideration because 50 turns into 75 or micro four thirds, it turns into 100 because there's more magnification because of the smaller sensor size. So these are general starting rule numbers. Don't be like, okay, well, Christine said, I've got 50 millimeter, I can shoot at 150th. I'm just gonna do that and then I'm not gonna pay attention to whether or not I'm getting camera shake or not. Like, no, we should be paying attention to ourselves and how we shoot. Some of us, have surgeon's hands. It's like, why are you a photographer? You should have been a surgeon. Like, go back, do another eight years of school so you can <laughs> become one. Um, and some of us are like, I've had five cups of coffee today and I am jittery McJitters. And, you know, you're lucky if you're going to get one one hundredth of a second with the way your hands are shaking. There's no judgment here. We all fall somewhere on the spectrum. So what you have to do is test it. I mean, this is with everything that we do, we should test it. Um, so test your gear, see what you can do. If you have a 50 millimeter lens, try it at 1 50th of a second. Now that's not on our, um, on our scale. Um, we have 1 60th of a second on our scale. So you could do that. You, there's also these third stops. So you can use those if you like, it's fine. We're just not going to use them yet because we're going to be doing equivalent exposures in the next episode. I'm not supposed to tell you about that yet though, because I want you to listen to the next episode and not skip it. Anyways, forget I say anything. Uh, so you can just go ahead and test it. And then you can say, okay, well, I can do 1 60th. Maybe I'm going to go down to 1 30th. Okay, I can do 1 30th. Can I do 1 15th? And then you're like, no, 1 15th looks like too much coffee. I'm not going to do that. Then the other thing is, do you have vibration reduction or image stabilization? That will help you be able to get slightly longer shutter speeds as well. Some 
brands have it in lens. Canon and Nikon have it in lens. Some brands have it in camera. So um, Olympus and Pentax, for instance, I know have it in camera. So is there the image stabilization, IS or VR, vibration reduction, that will get you a little bit more um, of a slower shutter speed without getting that camera shake. What I recommend doing is just putting on all the lenses you have and just testing it. Go into your shutter priority mode. So we'll talk about, we're coming up to this soon, so I'll uh, talk about it now. So when we're testing out with our shutter speed, before we go into shooting full manual, you're gonna be in shutter mode on your camera. Most normal people cameras, it's an S. If you're on Canon, it's a TV for time value or television, I don't know. No, it's time value is why they have it, but why Why change it? It's been S forever. Anyways, okay, sorry. I've shot with Canon. I'm an icon girl. I've shot with Canon and I'm just now giving digs at all the Canon people. Um, go into that shutter priority mode and just start going, start with one over your focal length, uh, whatever is closest to that in your shutter speed, and then just start going slower and just take some test shots and see what can I get handheld. And then you have a good rule of thumb for knowing how slow you can go before you should be on a tripod. Now, Night photography, night photography, you're always on a tripod. <laughs> Unless uh, you're like Andy, one of my students who tried to just, this is very recently, was uh, photographing a bridge and uh, security's like, you can't use a tripod here. So he balanced his camera precariously on a smooth ledge beside uh, the river um, that sloped down into it. He did not lose his camera though, fortunately. Um, you can use a stable surface for your camera as well. Just be really careful when you're setting your camera on something that is not a tripod. I recommend a tripod if at all possible. My backup to a tripod has been um, a magic bag. I remember I was in Norway, uh, I was pregnant with my first son and uh, was at this beautiful, beautiful uh, cabin up. I don't know where we were. We drove for a while into the hills in Norway, um, our friend's cabin up there. And this was before I did night photography full time, because if you have listened to my story, if you haven't, it's episode one on the podcast. You can go back. Uh, one of my most listened to episodes. Um, I started night photography after I had my son. Sleep deprivation um, made me think it was a really good idea. <laughs> it's one of those things that actually turned into me. Uh, but I didn't actually do really night photography yet. But that, you know, I was there and I went out and there's no light pollution and there's no one else around. And it's just stunning. And I look up at the night sky. I was like, I have to photograph this. And I was like, I didn't bring a tripod with me because I'm pregnant. I don't bring a tripod. I don't want to carry stuff. Are you kidding me? And uh, so I found a magic bag. They had like these magic bags. Um, if anyone, if you don't, I don't know how ubiquitous magic bags are, but are here. Um, but it's like a, a rice filled bag that you heat up or you cool down and you, you know, you put it on your neck when it's sore or you put it on your tummy if you have a tummy ache or something like that. At least that's what I do with my kids. They had a couple. So I took those and I put them on a log pile and I use that as my, uh, as my makeshift, um, my makeshift tripod works quite well because it molds to the camera. But you do, moral of the story, need to have your camera on some type of stable surface when we're shooting at night. Why is that the case? Okay, points are going to go to anyone who just went to the fact that nighttime doesn't have a lot of light. So what do we need? We need a long exposure. We need to have our shutter open for a longer time. In general, shooting at night, we're going to be shooting minimum of around eight seconds up to 30 seconds or more. When we get into photographing 
foregrounds to do like a starlit blend for a foreground shot with night photography, I do 15 minute exposures. 15 minutes. Now, just if you remember before I was talking about stops of light and that having and doubling. So one stop of light getting me more light is going from 15 seconds to 30 seconds. So one stop of light, more light, if I was at 15 minutes, is 30 minutes. That's the same quantity of light as going from 15 seconds to 30 seconds as it is from 15 minutes to 30 minutes. I don't generally do 30 minute foregrounds. I tend to go with either eight minute or 15 minute foregrounds. Uh, but that's, that's really long, right? That's uh, I, I sit back and I do some stargazing or I catch up on emails or something like that if I need to. Um, but yeah, there's long exposures. So minimum probably of eight seconds up to, you know, eight minutes, 15 minutes, depending on what we're doing. We need our camera to be locked down on a tripod. So if we are doing anything at night, which there's high probability <laughs> that you're going to be given the fact that you're listening to a podcast on After Dark, photographypodcast.com, then yeah, you probably are. So having a tripod is something that's super important and having a tripod that can lock down um, and be super sturdy is going to be worth its weight in gold for what we're doing. So that's the that's the biggest thing for us as night photographers with our shutter speed. What I would recommend based off of all of this, so just to give a quick little recap, our shutter speed, the technical control quality of light, how long that shutter is open. And then the creative control is the movement. So, oh, that's the piece. This is the piece I didn't touch on that I wanted to. I'm glad that came back to me before we ended, is that at night, we might think that there's not movement, right? Because we're outside, maybe if like the wind's blowing or something, but we're shooting landscape. Most often in landscape stuff, there's not really a lot of movement unless there's a waterfall or something like that. The thing that comes into play is that at night, we are photographing outside of our earth. So we are photographing objects that are outside of our rotation, our Earth's rotation. So actually there is movement inherent in night photography. And guess what? It's us. It's you and me. We are moving. We're hurtling around our sun and through our galaxy at a just mind-boggling speed. And so what that comes down to with our shutter speed is actually getting into uh, the idea that we need a short enough shutter speed so that we do not see the movement of the earth in relation to the stars. So that's something that I will go in depth um, in my free training. It's in the second training. We go into settings and we'll talk about our shutter speed more there. But if you're like, oh, well, shutter speed is just movement and nighttime, nothing's moving. Ha <laughs> ha. It is. We are moving. We are moving. That doesn't come up during the day because we're just photographing stuff that's moving at the same rate as us. I actually, actually like just had this type of conversation with my son because he was throwing a ball up in the car on the way to the beach. And I was like, you really shouldn't do that, you know, while your dad's dri driving, like you get him in the head. Like it's different if I'm driving, I shouldn't do it if I'm driving either. But, and then he was like, he went to go open the window and I was like, you really shouldn't do that. And he was like, well, what would happen if? So then we had this whole conversation about what happens if you put the ball outside the car? Where does the ball go? What happens if we're in a convertible? Anyways, all that to bring it back to the fact that during the day, we're just photographing stuff that's here with us on Earth pretty much. Maybe 
you're going to do solar photography. Maybe you're going to photograph the moon. But that's, you know, kind of down the line what people end up doing. We're just photographing stuff that's here on Earth with us rotating at the same rate of speed. So we don't have to think about that. But it's at night. We'll point our cameras up at the sky that it's like, oh, yeah, we're moving. That's right. No flat Earth here. Sorry. Sorry. If you're here and that's what you believe, then you should probably go somewhere else because we're not going to we're not going to see eye tie on this particular thing. So that's our creative control and our technical control. What I want you to do for your homework, geez, I love, I love giving adults homework. Can I just say that? For your homework, I want you to go into that shutter priority mode. So if you're on anything but a Canon, basically, I think, I, someone can tell me if I'm wrong, if um, other brands do TV, but anything else on S or TV, if you are on a Canon, uh, put it into that mode. And I just want you to play around with your shutter. So play around with having a longer shutter speed versus a uh, faster shutter speed and see the way that it affects your images. Find something that's moving, you know? Do you have a young dog? Get some cheese, throw the cheese up in the air and see what happens when you take uh, photos at, you know, one two thousandth of a second versus photos at one fifteenth of a second. Or take your dog to a lake and then when they come out and they shake, do like a really fast exposure and then do a long exposure. Um, do a fast exposure and see if you can get their face. <laughs> because uh, it looks so good or you know water coming out of a tap like you know maybe you're like uh you know I'm not feeling good right now or I can't go anywhere you've got a tap I've, everyone here pretty much who's listening to this we are all pretty darn privileged and we can turn on a tap and get water out of it which is pretty amazing you've got a built-in subject um anything that moves anything can be you can be your partner um can be a roommate can be a cat <laughs> that you toss off a counter no don't don't do that. But they probably will jump off the counter or knock a glass of water off the counter for you multiple times, I would guess. Cats are like that. <laughs> By the way, I love cats. If you've never heard my crazy cat lay story of growing up, well, I love cats. So I want you to play with your shutter speed. Just get a feel for it. Get a feel for how the uh, shorter exposures versus longer exposures, just how they look, how the images change, how what is communicated via the images change. See how short of a shutter speed you can get uh, when it's getting darker before your images just get too dark and you'll find your um, exposure meter will start flashing at you. See how long of a shutter speed you can get in the midday when you're outside. Um, see how long you can get when it's in dusk or when it's around sunset. Play around with all of these variables because the more that we do this, then inherently the more that we know as we're shooting. And then if we get into situations where we are at an extreme level, where it is daytime, but we want to have running water um, that looks smooth and silky. Okay, how do we do that? Spoiler alert, we use a neutral density filter. Um, but there are ways around this, but we have to know the limitations before we can work within those ways. So that's our shutter speed. That's what we've got. I went almost an hour on this. I'm pretty good at talking. <laughs> you never know it if it was anything outside of photography. That's our third part in this series. And shutter, I don't know. I think shutter is just really fun. Aperture is too, you know, um, creating a lot of depth of field versus a little shallow versus deep depth of field. But like, I don't know. Shutter speed's just, it can be pretty fun to play with. That's why I make you get through aperture first. And then you come here at shutter speed and you're like, oh, this is easy. It is. It is. So stick around because we are going to have part four. 
part four introduces our last main variable in our settings, which is our ISO. And then it introduces how these three settings work together and some concepts that are just really integral to absolutely everything in your photography. So I will see you in our fourth episode. Take care. <laughs>